Southern Illinois University sponsors nationally competitive athletic programs. On the inbound look, it's deep in the backcourt. Harrison has it, dribbles it out. Sweet 16, baby. Southern's there. Southern's there. That exemplify integrity. Toughness and excellence. The Sweet 16 is even sweeter when SIU's in there. All members of the department work to support Saluki athletes. In graduating and winning championships. And for the first time ever, Southern is a Missouri Valley Conference co-champion in women's basketball. Hey Saluki fans, this is your men's basketball center, Barrett Benson. This is Nicole Martin of SIU Women's Basketball, and you're listening to the Saluki Standards Podcast. And here's your host, Connor Onion. Hey there again, and hopefully some of those moments that you just heard from Saluki history can help get you through what's probably a tough time for a lot of you right now, being quarantined and no sports to keep us occupied. So certainly miss being out at Charlotte West Stadium and Itchy Jones Stadium and Saluki Stadium and being around Lingo Hall and seeing so many of you and you know, having that much-needed distraction that Saluki Sports often provides us. Good news is we've we've got 45 minutes of really good content from Saluki football coach Nick Hill today, and he opens up about his family life, you know, his his journey through faith, you know, the interesting dichotomy of of course of being both a player and a coach at, at his alma mater here at SIU, and also a, a good Peyton Manning story and Eli Manning story thrown in there as well. So hope you enjoy it. Nick Hill, Saluki head football coach here on the Saluki Standards Podcast. What have you done to keep yourself busy during this downtime? Well, I appreciate you having me on, Connor. I think it's a cool that you're i'm into podcasts and i saw you're doing this i was i was excited for all the saluki fans and coaches and and everybody i think you do a great job and so i'm excited to be on here uh kind of a loaded question i mean it's uh number one i mean i i don't think i think it's just a, a great reminder that uh we're really not in control uh of what what happens and and we're we really aren't guaranteed tomorrow um, you know, a lot of people, you know, wear T-shirts and have it on coffee mugs and, and say that type of stuff. And even us as coaches, we get in that that routine of, you know, practice like you don't have tomorrow, play this game like you don't have another one. Um, this is a quick reminder that at any point, like we're about to be told, to go sit in your house and stay there and sports are on the back burner of everything. And, uh so I, I, we're going to use it as a, a great uh, learning opportunity, bonding opportunity. Uh, just really our, our players should come out of this and down the line, no matter what happens here, uh, hopefully good things in the next couple months, you know, and we get through this, which I know that we do, we will. Uh, they're better husbands and, and fathers and have been through some real adversity. And I really feel for – the sports that were in the middle of their sports, baseball, softball, track, golf, uh, those student-athletes, man, my, my heart just breaks for them. I mean, we're in spring ball, and, and everything matters. It really does. But, um, you know, we're losing some practices and some lifting time and some running and and all of those things. Um, so I've t- I talk to our players through – uh, group messaging every morning, and, and I'm working through the roster right now to call every single one of them, and it's just uh, checking on them and checking on their families and, 
you know, not only that, I think right now all coaches across America just can't be concerned just with those players, but they're going to have moms and dads, aunts and uncles, people losing jobs, people stressed out about trying to figure things out. So mental health is such an important um, layer of, of everything in, in these kids' lives, and not just kids, coaches too. Uh, so we got to be we got to be reminded of all that. We got to be there for them for however long it takes. And so I think it's a great opportunity for for us coaches to just take a chill pill for a second. Well, everybody always talks about they you know need more time off and and uh, families and being being you know coaching takes so much of your time. Well, uh, here we go. You can be at home, be present. Uh, be with your kids, be with your family, use the phone. The, the technology is unbelievable right now, so you can get a lot of things done. And um, I think it's more physical distancing than, than social distancing. I think we still got to be social and we got to stay connected. Sure, sure. It, it was it was spring break when a lot of this stuff was going on, and you know you you didn't have direct contact with a lot of your players. What's what's been the next step for a lot of those guys? I mean, have they have they uh, come back to campus? Have they stayed home? Uh, what's what's the situation there? Well, we we really have a, a really mature group that just kind of went, you know, went with the punches a little bit. Just it's changed every day. You know, when it first came out and they were going to extend spring break and some of them had some questions, but it was just, you know, we all thought that, a, you know, a week later we'll, we'll get going and things will be bumped back a week. And then it was bumped back two weeks. And then it was, can they come back and lift? Yes, you can. How's that going to look? And then it was it was just something each day. So it was probably a little bit different just because they were gone and we were communicating. But I think that from day from the for our, from our first my first message to the team, it's just we have to be great communicators right now with um, your position coach, with coordinators, um, our our trainers, our academic coordinators. It's it's always right now is a time, and and I think that it'll be a just like anything. I. I I've told our staff this. We'll, we'll really see what type of team we're going to have. If we really we we talked going into spring ball that we need to have a maturity about ourselves and we need to look like that when we practice. You know, we've all been together. Every we haven't lost a coach. Uh, everything is intact. We have so many returning players. I mean, that's the way that we should have practiced. That's the way we should approach this thing. And when they come back. I talked to him today about, you know, it's kind of like going into a lockout, the lockout with NFL, and I had just signed with Green Bay um, after after that had went on, and you really saw uh, professionals at work. They they knew what they had to be. They knew what they had to be like when they came back, and teams that were ahead going into training camp, not having to go backwards and get training and, and get in shape and those types of things, um, they were better. And that's what the way we got to be whenever they tell us that we can be back. Hmm. It, interesting. You, you mentioned the uh, the pro game. You know, March 12th, you guys hosted Pro Day here at Saluki Stadium. And that's about the time that a lot of things were getting shut down and a lot of this news was breaking. For guys like Jeremy Chin and the guys that worked out here in front of the pro scouts, what do you think that that this means for them? Well, yeah, I think we were one of the, the last pro days in the country. Uh, you know, several NFL teams were getting called off the road as our pro day was going on. So uh, it was good for them to get there. those opportunities. The combine had already went on. Senior bowl already went on. Things are going to look different in the pro game, too. I got some friends that are coaches in the NFL, and 
you know, they're preparing that they probably aren't going to have OTAs. They aren't going to have those. The draft's going to look different. You know, uh, each team can have 30 visits where they bring in 30 guys and interview them, have them on, on the, in their facilities for a day, and those aren't going to go on. So um, I think that, um, you know, Jeremy has positioned himself really well. He's, he's got the interviews because he had the opportunity, like I said, spring um, – I mean, the – the senior bowl and the combine and, and all of those things. So uh, maybe it might be look a little bit different for some of these, you know, undrafted rookie free agents that, that uh, a little bit is it still unknown that they're in the process of getting to know them. So, um, but we're lucky that we got it in and, and I'm happy for our players that they were able to showcase what they have. With with all this, I, I saw your tweet yesterday, a, a really neat photo of you and, and Brandon Jacobs at the Manning Passing Academy. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing you were a counselor there before your senior season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go before my junior and senior season, So that, but that was my, my before my senior season, and Brandon came down there with Eli because uh, he had, they had just won the Super Bowl, and uh, – and so, yeah, it was kind of cool that one, one, one time at camp you go out there with uh, all the rest of, you know, college quarterback counselors and throw in front of all the, the kids and their parents and everything. And then though there's other receivers that come. Some of Eli and Peyton's receivers would be there, and Brandon came down. And so every time I was up, Brandon would run some routes and stuff. So it was good to connect with him there. And it was funny, I was – you know, getting to do some things that you always think about doing, but you just don't have time to do. So I was cleaning the garage yesterday and came across some old photos and found that one and thought it was pretty funny. Do the do the Manning brothers call you personally when you get the invite to that? No, uh, not then. They might now. It, the thing is, it, it was really just starting to blow up whenever I got to go as a senior. I mean, it was still uh, Jamarcus Russell was the first pick. Yeah, he was there. Uh, Leak had just won the national championship. He was there. Uh, there was like 30 of us, just like there is now. But um, I mean, now it's a it's a thing where um, I mean, you you've got. To, I mean, it's a it's a special thing. And so I was lucky to be able to go. Uh, Carl Mock, you know, had a lot to do with me getting in. Hit one of his great friends and coaching mentors and personal friends is Howard Mudd, and he was Manning's o-line coach for a number of years and um so when i was a junior in high college i was able to meet howard and then he he basically got me into it did you get to pick peyton or eli or archie's brains a little bit it was cool i mean when you're down there at the manning passing academy it is inside i mean you hang out with them they are they are there every single day they don't miss a session it's not just they put a name on a camp and they they uh, show up and sign some autographs. They stay in the dorms with us as the counselors. I mean, so right down, I mean, they're staying in the Nickel State dormitories and uh, <laughs> and they do it all. And so from dinners at night, uh, uh, they have a couple sessions where the college quarterbacks get to go in or, so you know, and sit down and ask questions. And it was really a, a great experience for me. It really gave me some confidence going into my senior year of just being down there, seeing – what the highest level quarterbacks, uh, being on the field with them, training with them for a weekend, and uh, just came back with kind of another sense of, of confidence that uh, that I could play at that level, and uh, definitely helped me out. Sure, people say Cooper is the the funniest one, the the fourth man, if you will. Yeah, no, is that true? One hundred percent. Yeah, it's one hundred percent true. And so, uh, basically, I mean, those guys do it. I mean, 
most of what what you see and what would you would think is really how they are. I mean, Eli's like how he is, how you would portray him to be more quiet, standoffish, great guy, Peyton, outgoing, um, and then Cooper walks around with, you know, different crazy hats on and the microphone and joking around with everybody and the parents and I don't even know if he sleeps the entire Manning camp, but he's on uh, 100 the whole time. And uh, so, yeah, he's exactly like that. It's a, a real-life nationwide commercial. That's pretty cool. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's get into the, the Saluki standards here a little bit. I want to talk about uh, your leadership style a little bit. Um, thinking back to, to your early years growing up, uh, who would you identify as the first leader in your life? Well, I mean, growing up, I mean, really, like any young kid, you, you look up to the, the men in your life. Uh, you know, so my dad, uh, not in the sports uh, world or he wasn't a coach. He coached me in Little League and, and things like that. But, um, you know, just how you go about your day and, and leading yourself. And uh, I think those same values hold true in athletics. And uh, my Uncle Norm. Um, played basketball here at Southern for a short bit. And, uh, you know, it was just growing up, it was the, the men in your life that you looked up to, my cousins that played, that were older than me. And then it was really when I got into junior high, um, a guy, Coach Kraft, was a seventh-grade coach, and John Gross was an eighth-grade coach. And basketball was such a big thing in my life. Uh, you know, th- those guys uh, – kind of shaped me and then going into high school coach martin was just a uh i don't even know how to describe him i mean a legend but you, you just had the entire town kind of look to him and when i look back i, I think I, I put this on social media too i was able to go back um maybe about a month ago before all this stuff happened and went to the uh the catholic church for the fish fry with my parents and took uh skyler and charlie up there and Here's Coach Martin, who's retired now. He's carrying dirty trays back, um, serving food, doing whatever the people ask him to do. Coach Kraft is now, um, you know, probably in his 70s, and uh, he's back there with his wife doing the dishes. And uh, that just really struck a chord with me that that those are the people that really impacted me. It was servant leadership. It was – you know, no job was too big or too small. I can I can remember Coach Martin. You know, all he's in the Illinois High School Coaches Hall of Fame, and uh, you know, there in the '90s and 2000s, nobody in the state was winning more games than Duquoin in high school football, be it small town high school football. But uh, he built a dynasty there. And uh, Saturday morning JV practices, he's the water guy. And I would be I would just think like, man, this guy. And it would be the Thursday night freshman game. He's carrying water. He's helping his coaches. He's unloading the buses, uh, you know, summer workouts. He's carrying the equipment. And those are the kind of things that now that I look back on that I hope that, that I have is that our coaches see me doing the exact same thing. It's right there with them. It's, it's serving. It's leading. It's being humble. I don't think I've met a more humble person than, than Al Martin. Um and then, you know, when I moved on with, with Coach Kill and, and through all the different people, then when you get older and you get in professional football and you see all different type of styles, but it, it all comes back to the, 
you know, the character and what type of men they are uh, is really what you remember most. And, and I hope that that's what people remember that play for me or coach alongside of me or watch me. It's really not these fancy, um, you know, pregame talks or, you know, clinic talks. It's just how you carry yourself each and every day that, that these kids are going to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's it's no wonder you've become a leader. You, you, named, a, you named a lot of different people in there. Yeah, I mean, there's. I'm, I'll turn 35 in two weeks, which is uh, it's kind of crazy to think about. I was I was given the opportunity to be the head coach when I was 30. Um, you come across a lot of people, and I feel like that in life, if if you don't, uh, sometimes you get so narrow-minded and you just don't take in everything. I mean, life will pass you by, but you're you're able to come across so many people like like yourself you're going to move on and and do a lot of great things but you'll you'll always remember southern you'll remember mike reese you'll remember the people that you do the summer baseball with you'll remember all these people and you'll look back and and uh, you'll remember what type of people they were where it'd be hard to recall every single game just the routine practices or games but you're just going to remember how they came in the building every day how they went to work you know, in times like this, how how they were in, in times of adversity is really whenever these kids are going to see really who you are. Sure, sure. When you think back to your high school playing days or maybe early in college, uh, what type of leadership did, did you respond to best? You know, there, there are some guys that respond better to maybe a little bit more yelling and getting after you, and then some guys need a little bit more of a supportive leadership style. What what uh, What type were you? Yeah, you know, um, and another coach that I wanted, you know, Coach Wheeler was my high school basketball coach that he, he gave me so many opportunities. He let me, you know, go and play the varsity team. I remember when I was in eighth grade in the summertime and uh, another guy that was just servant leadership. You want to get rebounded for at 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock at night. You called him and, and he was there and – um, he was more of the guy that, that kind of put his arm around me. And, uh, you know, Coach Martin, when he spoke up or he spoke to you, you, you almost did not want to disappoint Coach Martin. Mm. So you worked so hard not to disappoint him and because you respected him so much. And um, so, I, I mean, I think that the best player, how I was wired is that I was pretty hard on myself. Like I wanted to, to – um, do well because I wanted to meet a standard. I didn't want to relax or I didn't want to loaf. I didn't want to practice bad uh, just because I wasn't really raised that way. And I think that goes back to how you're raised with your mom and, and dad or whoever raised you. Um, if you go out to, to do something, you know, you, you got to do it right. I can, you know, it goes back to mowing the grass. I would be great on the ride lawn, lawn mower, but I didn't want to trim. I didn't want to, I didn't want to weed eat and I didn't want to push mow. And I don't want to do those things. You come inside, and it's after dinner. Dad comes home. Your butt was getting back out there and getting the weed eater out and doing the right things, doing the details. And so you responded that way. And so I think it was, you know, I was brought up that if you're not going to do it right, you're probably going to get in trouble. And and uh, and that's the way it should be. And so I think that those things, those those disciplines, were just instilled at me in a young age. Sure, I'm sure you've carried some of that, obviously, into coaching, but also, you know, being 
the head of a family too. We we talk a lot about you know your your role as a player and a coach here, but what's the what's the biggest leadership challenge for you being the head of a family? Well, I think that uh, you know they the same things. I mean, it's uh, you got You number one, you just got to put them put them first. You got to love them unconditionally. Uh, you know, they're right now. Skyler's four, Charlie's two. Um, you know, you gotta. It's funny. I think that right now, a bunch of coaches around the country are going to realize how special their wives are, and because uh, you're at home. But it's just being present and, and being and loving them and and being there, but instilling discipline in them as well, teaching them just the basic from right and what's right and what's wrong, and uh, somebody's got to be there to to do that, but. Letting them know that hey, you're gonna mess up. I think that's the biggest thing, and where my faith comes in is that thank God that um, you know as a Christian that that Jesus came to for you know forgive us all, and we have an opportunity to to get to heaven through Him. But without that, then we're all screwed because you know we're we're all gonna mess up, we're all gonna fall short, and just like that, that they got to know that when they do that they have the confidence that, you know, we're going to forgive them, love them, we're going to get back up, we're going to try again, but uh, they don't have to be perfect. And uh, so that's the way I want to, to be remembered as a dad is just that I'm, I was always, I'm always there and uh, that they're, they're first in my life. Not something we just say, but actually do it. Right. And, uh, and so I, all of our coaches, we have unbelievable dads on our, on our staff that I learned from them. And uh, I, I tell them that all the time, uh, you know, they, they need to go home, they need to, to be there, and they don't ever have to ask any questions from me. If it's something to do with their family, they can get out of the office. Right. There's there's the uh, religious backdrop to, to your leadership as, as a father. Um, you guys are also a, a hyper-athletic family with, with Alicia playing volleyball here, too. Uh, what what input does she have on, on your leadership style, um, you know, knowing that you guys have gone through some of the same things as, as former athletes? Well, it's, uh, you know, she, she knows me uh, the best out of anybody. And, and so many times she's helped me probably in, in ways that um, she doesn't even know it. And sometimes, um, you know, she'll, she'll say some things or, or, you know, just hearing me, my phone conversations, you know, and when I get off uh, the phone, I mean, she's so in touch and, and knows how I'm wired, and um, I think the biggest thing for her is that we've all just said that the best, biggest thing that we can do to, to lead together is to show these kids what it's like to be married at a young age with young kids and to be present, to be around, um, for them to see me loving her and um, Skylar and Charlie. And as, as wives on the staff, I think that the number one role is just to be present, to be a, a, a presence in their life with 105 kids that their moms are away from, from where they're living at. And um, so I think that she helps me each and every day stay grounded. Um, she's never afraid to tell me what her opinion is, which is a, is a super important. You can't have a bunch of yes men and women in your life that just tell you you're doing it right all the time and that your ideas are the best. And um, I'm thankful that she doesn't do that with me. Um and, but I mean, we've been through some, you get, I, I said this all the time. I mean, 
you know, everybody wants that next job, wants a bigger job. I didn't see this job coming in front of me whenever I was 29 or going into the 2015 season. It wasn't like I was out interviewing for different jobs and knew it was right around the corner and I really wanted to be the next head coach. It kind of hit me, and it sounds like, man, that, that sounds perfect, but you're 30 years old, you have two kids, you go, you know, 4-7, 4-7, 2-9, 2018. That's a, you know, uh, on paper, that's a rough year. But we probably learned more about ourselves and, and our marriage and became stronger and became better parents, became better coaches. And uh, sometimes you got to have that. You, you've got to have the tough times. And you can kind of draw on that right now. You can kind of say, I mean, something better is going to come, um, you know, through this. You don't go from mountaintop to mountaintop. Sometimes you got to go through a valley uh, to get back up to the to the top, and so I'm just thankful for for Alicia and for for being here. She is competitive. She she knows the college game. She she's been around a lot of different leaders as well, and uh, so uh, hopefully our, our kids. Really, to be honest with you, I think that you know they, everybody's like you want them to play, and you'll push them to to do whatever they want to do. They're going to be active. They got to be active and do something, but. I really don't care uh, what they pick to do. Um, but as long as they're happy doing it, I'll be right there on the sideline cheering. We went skiing in, in Colorado last weekend or for spring break right before all this. We actually got back when all this started to come about. But uh, I'm, for, I'm for sure going to be the dad that they got to take the camera out of his hand and <laughs> get back on the thing because I'm just going to be like not in the helicopter dad, but just like – anything if it's a spelling bee or whatever it's like your heart's pounding for them and just so proud of them to do whatever oh well, that's how it's supposed to be right yeah exactly that's the way that's the way it should be and and uh and i hope that that ultimately that's hopefully that's how they feel yeah no i, I feel like we could do a whole whole podcast on uh just the the family aspect of of your life um you, you mentioned how they helped you through some some tough moments i i know the the two and nine season is is fuel for you in your program. I know not getting into the playoffs, even though you guys probably should have last year. That'll that'll be fuel moving forward. You want that to to be helpful for your players and your program, but but for you personally, how has that made you better and made you tougher? Yeah, I, I think that it it makes you really take a look at at everything you're doing. You know what's important in your life. If it, for me, if it wasn't for for my faith, I, I don't know how you'd find peace in the midst of, of um, two and nine or a tough season or a tough stretch. Um, I talked to a church in West Frankfurt on Super Bowl Sunday, and that's what I said. It was a really we lost our last five games of 2017. So really. You know, we were going through like a 2-14 and 14 stretch. And, um, you know, w- without knowing and having some peace in your life, in your heart, it w- you could get pretty miserable pretty quick. Not to say it wasn't tough. There were some tough days. But you have to um, keep going. You, you have to not you, – you do have to take a step back and, and evaluate what, what can I be doing different, um, what should I be doing here. you got to look at yourself first. How am I leading – uh, in, in football, especially, you know, how are you managing the roster, how are you managing your coaches. Um, I've always had the sense and feeling that we were putting the culture together the way that we should do it. Not that we needed not make some adjustments, but that was always at the forefront of how we were going to build this thing. And 
Um, I believe we're on the right path. I think that the the coaches that we brought on staff have done an unbelievable job pushing me. I think Coach Petrino has a gr- done a great job of um, helping me, pushing me. Um, I'll be the first that to tell you if you if you come in and sit on our staff meetings, it's a it's a collaborative effort. Um, you know, I'm the head coach, uh, but I'm one of 11 guys in there, and our GAs and and Geiska and, and all of us do this thing together. So I think that I've learned, um, you know, just like you, you would learn in anything that you do, you're going to get better with the experiences and, and not so much the X's and O's. Um, I was, you know, ready for that. Um, but what you, I don't think that you put these head coaches' manuals together and you go and do this interview and you're, you're, you're ready. But none of those questions are, you know, what are you going to do whenever um, Xavion Furcron's grandma calls you and says that his mom's passed away and he doesn't know it yet, but you got to go get him from the apartment and you need to get him to Chicago and you got to go up there with him and tell him that your, his mom's passed away. That's really not in the head coach's manual. And um, you got to be ready to do it at any time. You're, you're much more than a football coach. And I tell our guys all the time that – you know, we get 11 guaranteed Saturdays out there. So we're around each other so many more times off the field. So as coaches, we've got to do that. You can be the best presenter and you can be the best play caller, but you get to do that 11 days out of the year. So if you're not all these other things, you're really not going to be a great coach because it's about mentoring. It's about being a psychologist. It's about uh, being a brother and a dad and, and just being there for them and mentoring them. And um, I think that that's what you, you don't know if you're you, – until you get in there. Now, you know, my chapters in the book, Coach, Coach Griffin, always, every time something comes up that really is off script probably, he's always like, oh, that's just another chapter <laughs> in your book. And uh, and it, it's, it's true. I mean, coronavirus will be another chapter. You know, you really didn't see it coming, but – now, now you've got to deal with it. How you communicating with the, you know, 86 guys and all your coaches and recruiting, and you're not going to be able to have them in. You just got to be able to adapt and adjust. And uh, if you're not willing to do that, you're probably not going to be a great coach. Mm. Uh, however you want to frame it, whether it's uh, the word pressure or uh, a high degree of responsibility, you've you've had positions or jobs currently or in the past where you've been in that situation uh you know being the starting quarterback of uh your your hometown team or being the starting quarterback of a division one university and now being a head coach how did some of the moments that were tough during your playing career prepare you for some of the moments that have been tough during your coaching career yeah i i um you know you look back and and it's it's such a you know, you're you're going to fail so many more times than you're you're going to succeed. You know, during that talk that I gave uh, at that church, that's what I said. I, I kind of went through my timeline as a player, and I was like, I, I want you to keep in mind that at the end of these, there's going to be no national championships. There's going to be no state championships. There's going to be no player of the years. There's going to be no big, you know ending to this story that you're that I'm I'm on the top I gave it everything that I had and worked really hard but you have to understand that there's going to be a lot of of tough days from transferring from basketball to football that's what I said I stood up there 
19 years old, I would be saying I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to be a high school basketball coach and a teacher. And I'm standing here at 34. I'm a head football coach and played five years of professional football and tried making it playing football. So um, the last pass that I threw in college was an interception that we had a two-minute drill to go down and beat Delaware. Nobody ever talks about that. They talk about 12-2, and but – it really, it ended with an opportunity to go win a game, and we didn't get it, win it. And that's a long. We we played at McAndrew Stadium. They so had a long walk back down to our locker room. That was a long walk. You know, I, I don't know what time I came out of the locker room, but you remember those times. And I, I remember the sun coming up the next day, and my mom and dad still loving me, and the people of Ducoin still, you know being there right there with me and knowing that if, if in, in life, as long as you're treating people right, you have no regrets on the way that you treat people and, and you, and you have no regrets on how hard you worked and you're going to be okay with the result um, that comes. It's not that it's not going to, you know, be tough or suck. <laughs> I mean, losing is tough, but at the end of the day, you can get over now the other part of it that that will be some regret that goes on and it's inside your stomach that you just can't handle is that you didn't work hard or you, you tried taking a shortcut and that just doesn't work out but i'm thankful that i try not to ever to, to do that mm-hmm. well, i want to revisit the 2007 uh, national semifinals here in a bit but before we move on from from toughness uh kind of a, a lighter question or a, a heavier question i guess um what's it feel like to get hit by 300 pound people <laughs> you try not to uh <laughs> but yeah i don't know you, you know a quarterback a lot of times it's just like anything if somebody's going to come up and hit you you'd probably rather not know it's coming you know so you, you just you just deal with it uh you know you, you get pretty good at, at getting uh you know, some, some glancing blows. That's just the, the ones that, as a quarterback, when you know it's coming, you got to stand in there and still take it. And the hits really never hurt. It's just whenever, probably when they when they bury into the ground, you know, some of those. But that's what, that's what makes football. Some people that don't play football probably, that's where it's like these guys are a little bit, you know, a little bit crazy. But that's, that, waking up the next day with some soreness and, remembering those big hits and and taking some of those hits i mean that's that's part of the game that that we love so it's not too bad is there one toughest hit that you remember taking as a player that that you'll always take with you um probably uh there's a there's a play at umass um you know we got out to an early lead and then they they made a big comeback and we barely, we had to just hang on to get to the semifinals. And they had a really good linebacker, and they brought kept bringing this pressure. I think it was twice, and we didn't pick it up um, either way. And and he hit me and knocked the air out of me uh, on a blitz that we threw the ball. And uh, I can remember getting up, not wanting to to see that man. He really got me. Uh, but that one and. Uh, uh, there was a there, that was probably the one that I, I vaguely or I still remember because um, he was a good player and I, I've seen him since then and, and he knew he got me. <laughs> he let you know about it that many years yeah, later. Yeah, definitely let me know about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let, let's move on to to the championships, uh, the the top of the Saluki Standards Pyramid. Is uh, as, as you mentioned before, a, a lot of your story is is getting very very close 
um, like in 2002 in the state title game when, when you guys played Immaculate Conception when you were at DuCoin. Uh, do you ever go back? I, I noticed that game's on YouTube. Do you ever go back and watch that game? I haven't. It's tough for me to watch. I've never watched the Delaware game. No. You know, I, I probably get text one or I don't even know how many times. It, somehow, for some reason, it still gets played on ESPN Classics, and uh, I've still never never watched it. I never tune into the Classics. Those are those are tough games to watch. I mean, I could go back and watch them now, um, but it just something that I, I just don't do um i don't sit around and, and think about them that's just part of my story and we, we didn't win and um but that's what gets me excited about that's what probably drives a lot of people into coaching is now you know we get another season we got a 2000 you know 20 season that that you get an opportunity to go win a championship and and you get to be around the game and um it's uh you know what what drive it's not why you do it definitely but we are here to win. We're here to win championships. We're here to do things at the highest standard um, that there is. And it, it's to be elite. It's to do things in an excellent way. And um, I feel like that's what we're, we're building here. And I've made that clear to our staff and our players. And I felt in 2019 we were knocking on the door to, to compete at that level. Now, we didn't do that. Um, we didn't win those big games against a top five opponent that puts you into that that category um i think we were a top 20 team but we weren't a top 10 team at, at any given day we could have been but cons- consistent great teams are consistent and do it over and over and over again and and that's where we're going and um that's the attitude we have to have every time we come in and that's the you know the the what our players have to feel and and hold themselves accountable to and it takes leadership it takes time i've learned that over the last four or five years it takes time to build that um, consistent culture uh in your players and so uh, but we have everything that we need here to win a championship when i sit down with parents with players you know some some teams realistically can't say that and and when we were in 2017 2018 i think that we we thought that and we were getting close to that now in 2020 i think our our team and, and that that when we go into a team meeting they they believe that that's the path that that we're on not that it's going to happen there's a lot of tough work to go into there but um from everything that we need to go win a championship we have and so that's our job to go and execute the plan that that we put in place. You mentioned that some of your old teammates will text you when the 2007 game is on ESPNU or ESPN Classic. How much do your current players ask you about some of those experiences or, or that game specifically? Yeah, I some players do. Some player, players will see it or some players will, will ask, um, you know, about different things, but I don't spend much time talking to them uh, at all about when I played or how I did it or, or anything like that. I mean, it's, uh, um, I was super thankful for, for those opportunities. I I remember us winning, you know, I remember, uh, I like I told Coray, I mean, you look at my stats when I was a, a junior, we handed that ball to Archie Whitlock. We had a great defense. Um, you have to make some timely plays and, 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 and 
you know, when your number's called, you have to, to win some games. In 2006, his stats this past year were a lot better than mine whenever I was a junior. We won and, and went to the second round of the playoffs. But, um, you know, at Indiana, I think we threw for like 130 yards. Four of them were for touchdowns. And sometimes that's what you have to, to do. Or at UT Martin, it was just a struggle, but we had to go on a two-minute drive to win the game and threw a touchdown with two minutes. People are going to remember winners. And um, so I, I just remember what it, what it took to win. I remember that I really didn't ever care um, how many yards I passed for or what the stats were. I, I remember getting in that locker room and feeling the same after every win, and, and that's what we got to get our team thinking about and striving for and I think they did that I think that it didn't matter in those five game winning streak who played well defense offense who rushed for how many yards or what happened uh if Javon had a big game or DJ had a big game or uh I I just remember singing the song in the in the locker room and and getting on that bus and and when and I go back to coach Kraft I can remember I remember this it's crazy what you remember at a at a young age um, but I was in sixth grade. I was starting on the the. Um, I think it, yeah, I was a I was a seventh grader, and I was on the eighth grade basketball team. And it was eighth grade night, so I was up in the locker room, and I was the only seventh grader that was on the eighth grade team. And I was sitting there with Coach Kraft and Coach Gross, two people that I mentioned. And I can remember Coach Kraft saying, "You know, you'd rather win ugly than lose pretty." And uh, and that that just you, it's it's like that in football. If it's three to nothing, and it was a you know you just feel like you played terrible on offense, and you get in there and you get a win. That's really all that matters. And you go on to the next week and you try to put together a plan that gets you one point better than the next team. And um, as a coach, you truly feel that. But when you get a team to buy into that then you can be pretty special. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more uh, 2007 question for you. Have you run into Joe Flacco since then? I haven't. I haven't. I said that, too, in my talk. <laughs> you know, we're sitting there, and it's, uh, you know, have an opportunity to win that game. Some things didn't bounce our way to go to the national championship. Joe Flacco went on to win a championship and made well over $100 million since, uh, since, that, since that day. And uh, I had some other opportunities to make it, never made it. You know, talk about, you know, when you get cut from an NFL team, you know, I talk to our team about this sometimes when they're the, everybody wants to play in the NFL. Well, you know, when you get cut in the NFL, you really don't have any heads up. You're coming in the building thinking your day's going good, and it's like, hey, you're heading home. And that, that's kind of how my my the end of my two runs went. But um, I've never seen Joe since then. Um, obviously, followed him, pulled for him, uh, just because you feel like you. Um, you know, we're close to him. Our last college game was against him, and he's a one double A guy, and uh, wanted to see him do well. Yeah, I think that would be a, a good Saluki Standards episode, like 100. We, maybe we can get him when he retires, and yeah, there you g- go. Get we'll you guys on, on the phone that. together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would uh, that would be fun. Uh, we we mentioned just to wrap this up with the championships. We we mentioned how you you've been close. You're you're chasing that championship, and, and you haven't had a chance to achieve that as a coach or a player yet what do you think it feels like once you get to that mountaintop well i i know that it, it doesn't last long you know that's what i is but it, it's uh it's a feeling of you, you have a bond with us with a group that 
you set out and you work and no team is ever the same so uh, once you get there um it feels so so good i'm i i'm sure uh but those moments just last for a short short time uh i tell them that all the time you know you think about you know clemson and lsu uh you know six weeks later they're back at spring practice you know they were on the mountaintop and it, the parade and everything but then the next day, the world moves on, and people forget about it. If I said right now who won the 2012 Super Bowl, I doubt anybody would know exactly who won the 2012 Super Bowl. But that team would. If you were a diehard fan, you would know. We know the 83 team won the, the, the championship, and our close-knit group will remember it. Um, so you got to save. That's why I think you hear all the time is you it's process over results. You have to enjoy the process on the way to the championship. If you're just doing it to enjoy that short moment at the top, then you're going to be let down because the next day you got to get up and you got to be chasing another one. So you got to enjoy in every every small moment. Uh, you got to enjoy the practices, the meetings, the people, the bonds. Not to say they're all just every day is going to be perfect and awesome, but you do have to find you have to have joy in that. If not we probably need to find something else to do. I think you tied this conversation perfectly, unintentionally. The The 2012 Super Bowl champs were uh, Eli Manning's New York Giants. There you go. There you go. I you're, couldn't have told you that. You're a friend from the Manning Passing Academy. That's right. That's right. Side note, that's why Eli should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Oh, that's that's right. Well, Coach, I really appreciate you doing this, and um, I hope you, uh, you guys continue to, to be healthy and Hopefully we can can get out of this this little funk here and and back to back to normal business here soon. Yeah, no doubt. We'll we'll all be back, and it's uh, you know, it's awesome to just see at, at a time not the reason why, but sometimes you always got to find a great meaning in why things happen and seeing how people unselfishly are coming together um, is inspiring to see, and hopefully everybody will do what they need to do and and do the social distancing and and everything they're asking us to do we got to take seriously so we can get back quicker yeah well uh good health to your family and thanks again for doing this all right thanks a lot